Hello, and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Megan Liz Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Stacy and Annika Merrilies. Hey, what's up? Hello. Thanks for hey. having us on, Megan. It is Friday, June 15th, 2018, and today we have three big topics to cover in our roundtable discussion. First, Missouri has a new governor. So what will Mike Parson do for Missouri's startup community? Next, net neutrality was officially repealed on Monday. And finally, David Karandish, the founder of Answers, launched his new company, Jane AI, an artificial intelligence assistant for the workplace. For our first topic, Missouri's new governor. Mike Parson was officially sworn in on June 1st. What do we know about his plans for startups? So I think this comes with like the caveat that it has been all of 14 days. I guess you say it's been like a fortnight. Yeah, far. he hasn't announced any major plans or anything. Right. It is, it's a very small sample size and there has been much more talking than there has doing. However, I think there are a few things that he has actually done in the, in the opening two weeks that uh, may be of interest to the business community here in the state. One, he went on a nine-city listening tour over the course of two days and during the course of that tour, he seemed to really put an emphasis on connecting with the state's business community. So uh, of the nine stops, he made a stop at the Springfield Chamber of Commerce, uh, Flexolator, which is a business based out of Carthage, uh, owned by Liggett and Platt down there. He also visited the Greater Kansas City Chamber, and the final stop of his cross-state sprint was at the Cortex Innovation District in St. Louis, where a lot of tech companies and tech startups in particular are housed. So uh, there's a lot that's unknown about how he might affect businesses in the state, but at the very least, there was some dialogue this week, and uh, based on what Steve Kraske from the Kansas City Star reported, he won over a fairly skeptical room over the course of a 30-minute conversation there uh, at the chamber headquarters. So he has at least extended an olive branch to the state's business community. Annika and I were there for his stop at Mizzou, and he mentioned a bunch of different things. Do you want to go over a little bit of it, Annika? Okay. So one of the topics of discussion, uh, well, Governor Parson was at Mizzou, was public-private partnerships. In order to fund higher education, Parson said the business world is going to have to be part of the education of our students. So Governor Parson visited um, the school's Immersive Visualization Lab, Immersive Visualization Lab, uh, in a room packed with press, MU higher-ups, and local local legislators. Uh, Governor Parson put on some VR glasses and uh, had a chance to play with some virtual molecules in front of everybody. It was a really interesting scene there. Yeah, it was definitely it was a definitely a very packed room. Yeah, everyone was really interested. Um, and Governor Parson spoke about how he's seen research going on in other parts of the U.S. and he said that there's no reason that it couldn't be happening in Missouri as well. He said we no longer have to be a flyover state, and he, you know, expressed his opinion that he's really glad that people are doing this kind of research here. Again. This is taken with a grain of salt. Um, He was not quite specific about any actions in particular that he wants to take in order to further this research, but generally gave the impression that he was for it and in favor of supporting it in the future. Hmm. Yeah, and I want to come back just briefly to the issue of workforce development, in particular people skilled in the STEM fields. That's a need that a lot of people have tried to address in the state recently. You've got... um, Launch Code out of St. Louis, which is a nonprofit organization that sort of trains people for programming jobs in an apprenticeship sort of setting. And then more recently, you've had the uh, Missouri Chamber of Commerce and Industry published its Workforce 2030 report, which basically said that there is going to be a large gap in terms of the number of skilled workers uh, versus the supply or the need for skilled workers versus the supply of them. 
So I think that is uh, that specifically in the STEM field or just in general? Uh, it's across a variety of fields, I believe. Huh. But um, interesting. Parson is is aligning himself with that issue early on, based on his his workforce development priority. Yeah, um, I guess that kind of the broader focus was funding education in order to build the workforce in the state of Missouri. Uh, in order to fund education, Parson, you know, voiced his support for some of the ideas that were proposed by uh, University of Missouri System President Mun Choi concerning creating a public-private partnership in order to fund the universities. Hmm. Yeah, because that's going to be a good way to rely on something outside of state funding, which is not very reliable with funding higher education right now. Right. President Choi said that he's... Uh, he understands that funding for higher education is reliant to a certain extent on the economy. And yeah. when the economy is not progressing in the way that we want it to, cuts have to come from somewhere. Yeah. Moving on to topic two, net neutrality. It was officially repealed on Monday. And net neutrality, as a reminder, is the principle that Internet service providers should enable access to all content and applications regardless of the source and without favor or blocking particular products or websites. This has been, uh, as has been fairly well documented, like an issue of concern for internet startups across the U.S. and here in Missouri. Yeah, and as a reminder, the vote was officially done to repeal it in December of 2017. So this has kind of been an ongoing thing, but it didn't actually officially get repealed until this Monday. Right, right. And in the run-up to that, there were a lot of attempts to um, sort of stop it from happening. Yeah, or um, to create laws on state levels, too. Right. And notably, like last summer, uh, some startups out of Kansas City were part of a national push, um, a, a petition to, uh, during the listening period, they petitioned to stop it from being repealed. More recently, there was a group of co-working spaces, I believe eight of them, based in the St. Louis area, that wrote an open letter, again, trying to stop uh, the the repeal of net neutrality. Those efforts were unsuccessful. So you have some tech companies in the state's two largest cities that are very displeased with this outcome. So some of the arguments that are being made against net neutrality that particularly relate to startups is the idea that um, smaller startups or startups that aren't as established as other ones might not get the upper hand because they might have to pay more fees uh, in order to keep up and keep their content in the, quote, internet fast lanes. Um, Other arguments have been made about online services potentially charging more to subscribers in order to offset the fees that they're charged uh, or it might cause social media platforms to be bundled the way that TV is sometimes bundled. So people might not try things that are outside of the bundle that they purchase. Again, some of this is speculation. We really don't know what it means for the future yet. FCC chairman Ajit Pai that really championed repealing net neutrality, he actually believes that this will actually lead to increased innovation. And part of his reasoning for that is because it will be able to bring more high-speed internet access to more Americans. And he feels that The reason for that is because without heavy-handed regulation of net neutrality, then companies will be able to spend more money expanding their networks. Broadband is important to Missourians. It affects uh, how businesses can operate. It can affect what tools people people are able to use for agriculture. It can affect education. And uh, telehealth is another area where out in a rural area where somebody might not have a specialist for a certain area of medicine, they could Skype out to somebody else who has a specialty in that area, or somebody could Skype to a doctor so that they wouldn't have to drive across the state if they didn't have a car, if they didn't have the money to make that trip. 
Um, in education, it's been an issue when schools don't have access to quality broadband. In some cases, on days where there's state testing, which has to be done online, one class will be doing state testing and the whole rest of the school has to dramatically cut back or completely stop their internet use for the mm. entire day. So despite this huge uproar that came when net neutrality was first voted down, there are potential benefits to it happening with internet going out to people that don't have access to it currently. Yeah, that seems about it for net neutrality. For our third and final topic, we're going to discuss St. Louis entrepreneur David Perondish. He founded the question and answer internet company called Answers, and he officially launched his newest company on Tuesday. It's an artificial intelligence platform designed to answer questions in the workplace called Jane AI. So for Jane AI, he's raised $8.4 million in funding from a network of uh, private and angel investors in the Midwest. Uh, they've got 35 employees now and say that that could double in the next year. Yeah, I think the, the job growth is one thing that, that stands out about this is you know the potential for some well-paying, uh, high-skilled jobs in the St. Louis area. The other thing to me that is interesting about this story is that Grandish sold answers uh, for somewhere in the ballpark of a, a billion dollars, although he did not get all of that money. But he is a entrepreneur who has had a successful exit, who is then reinvesting in the local startup community. And I think people will, when talking about the health of a startup community and ensuring the growth of other startups, talk about the need for successful entrepreneurs to reinvest. Mm -hmm. um, this is not his first investment. I mean, obviously, he's betting on himself here, as are others. But he has invested previously in startups, including Rovertown, which was a, a deals app, as well as Varsity Tutors, which is a web-based tutoring service that has gone on to raise considerably more capital huh. and is, I think, a, a pretty good startup success story out of the St. Louis area. Yeah, and the company itself is pretty interesting. I mean, the artificial intelligence kind of relies on compiling all the information a company has across all platforms and then pulling it together to answer a question pretty quickly, which I think is pretty interesting. That could really help a lot of businesses. Absolutely. I think uh, you know, their their claim is that it's 35% of the typical work week is spent yeah. chasing down that sort of mundane information. Yeah, and then it takes about 20 minutes to get back into focus, which I know from experience, it is pretty tough to focus again once you've pulled your t attention away. Yeah, I can see the use. I know that I've double-checked which day uh, Governor Parson was sworn into office <laughs> about four times by now. <laughs> All right, and that will conclude our roundtable discussion for today. Up next is Notes from the Field. Our sustainability reporter, Christopher Teig, got the inside scoop at the Ripple Glass Summit in Kansas City yesterday. Now he's here to tell us all about it. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So, where were you yesterday? Uh, like you said, we, uh, me and a fellow reporter uh, traveled down to Kansas City yesterday. Uh, Ripple Glass, a glass recycler there, hosts an annual glass recycling summit every year, and they sort of invite down guest speakers um, and other people involved in the recycling industry to talk about issues surrounding their trade and uh, just kind of what the future of the field is. So we went down to go check it out, um, and it was pretty interesting. What is Ripple Glass? Yeah, Ripple Glass is uh, it's a glass recycling company out of Kansas City. Uh, they started back in 2009 out of Boulevard Brewery, obviously a very famous uh, brewery down there in Kansas City. Uh, the owners kind of got together. They realized they were um, producing a lot of glass. They realized that the city wasn't doing much to recycle the glass. Um, you know, about 150 million pounds of glass were going into the landfills every year. And they saw that they were part of, the, of a problem 
Um, so they decided to do something about it. What exactly did they do to change it? Well, the thing is, is the city didn't have a recycling facility, so all that glass was going into landfills. Um, so hmm. essentially yeah. they got some grant money from um, a, a regional recycling organization uh, to buy equipment, um, kind of get the thing up and running, and um, now they're, they've kind of taken the reins and are, are doing the glass recycling, not only in Kansas City, but in, in several surrounding regions. So it's pretty cool. Wow, yeah. So what are they doing with the glass? Well, that's that's what uh, it's funny. Uh, I went down there, and in the recycling industry, uh, Ripple Glass is kind of seeing as this upcoming rock star in <laughs> in the field, which is pretty funny to think recycling about. Recycling rock star, yeah, good to exactly. know. Exactly. Uh, but they uh, they kind of do everything. So a lot of uh, municipalities, uh, even like Columbia here, uh, collect recyclables. Uh, you know, they collect plastic, glass. Uh, yeah. metals, paper. Yeah. Uh, but they they'd actually don't do any of the recycling process beyond that. It's actually what makes Ripple Glass so unique right now is that they do the whole thing. Um, they oh, collect okay. the glass, they sort it out, uh, they, they break it down, melt it down, turn it back into uh, these glass pellets, and then they sell those glass pellets back to a local manufacturer. It's actually... Owen, uh, Owens Corning, it, they, they make fiberglass insulation for, for homes and other buildings like that. So, Where are they getting the glass from? Have they created partnerships within the city? Yeah, they, they actually they collect from um, not just Kansas City, but uh, eight other states pretty regularly. Uh, wow. In total, they collect from 10 states, including places like Arkansas, Iowa, um, Nebraska, I think. So... Uh, but mostly they're they're collecting from the city and they're trying to expand their project. Last year, I think they did uh, forty five thousand tons of of glass that they recycled and turned back into into a raw material that they sold back to Owens, yeah. Owens Corning and other manufacturers that make glass bottles, like for for Boulevard. Huh. So how are they able to build those connections between the other states? Right. Um, you know, we didn't talk too much about that, but yeah. from what I gathered, it seemed like it takes a lot of networking. Yeah. Um, they kind of build relationships with other organizations that are trying to um, kind of boost recycling efforts around there. So, yeah. you know, they had some speakers from Omaha, Nebraska, who they partnered with to help increase the recycling in that area. The people that give the most glass to Ripple Glass comes out of Iowa, um, huh. Cedar Rapids, I believe. So we spoke with them, too. And so a lot of it is just building relationships, kind of like with any sort of trade. Oh, yeah. So it seems like the big thing that makes Ripple Glass different is they're this company that's been able to build connections with the purpose of trying to be more sustainable with glass. I think so. Um, and I think that they really wanted to close a loop in something that they saw that they were contributing to pretty significantly. You know, instead of helping contribute to this 150 million tons of, or sorry, pounds of glass going into landfills, yeah. they, they wanted to help reduce that and also kind of send it back into the market. Yeah. Um, it also, you know, obviously they tout how environmentally friendly it is. It takes energy to take raw, uh, you know, raw sand and turn that into glass. It takes more energy to do that than to recycle glass back into sand and then have that turn back into glass. Huh. What do you think other corporations and businesses and startups can learn from Ripple Glass? Mm, well, obviously there's the you know, starting your own business kind of aspect. They yeah. they had no idea what they were doing at first when it comes to recycling glass. They were just using the glass to to create beer, right? Yeah, they just but, had the goal of wanting to create a more sustainable practice for exactly. dealing with glass. Yeah, and so I, I guess you could say that's, you know, truly an entrepreneurial spirit right yeah. there. Yeah, they had a problem and they knew they wanted to fix it and they figured out how. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, I was speaking with Mike Utz uh, and I kind of asked him the same thing, like yeah. what advice do you have for anyone? Um 
and you know he he talked about anyone trying to get into the recycling business, but also just in general, uh, what it's like to start a company from scratch. And um, I think his his biggest advice was do your homework, which yeah. you know kind of spans a lot of different areas. Huh. Do you know where the name Ripple Glass came from? Does that refer to like the type of glass, or is that just like a, a name? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I I didn't have the wherewithal to ask it, but I, I did pick up <laughs> where it, where it came from. They they talked about it a lot there. The idea that well, first of all, the recycling glass, but um, the idea of rippling. Um, you know, they wanted to do good, and they're hoping that they're creating a sort of ripple effect because of that that can huh. spread out and and make the world more envir- environmentally friendly. So, well, thank you for coming in, Chris. This has been a great notes from the field. Yeah, thanks, Megan. We're going to move on to our final segment, Can I Get Your Digits? A look at some important numbers in startup and entrepreneurship news. Can I get your digits, Michael? You most certainly can get my digits. And my digit for the week is a little bit of a sentimental one. It is six. That Ooh. is the number of years that One Million Cups called the Coffin Foundation home, uh, but the weekly entrepreneurial networking event is moving. It was born out of a small group of entrepreneurs that started meeting at the Kauffman Foundation in April of 2012 and has grown into an event that is hosted around the country in somewhere in the neighborhood of 180 cities. But as of August, it will be taking place at the PlexPod Westport Commons. So as someone who sort of was there for the early days of One Million Cups and has tracked its rise and, and frankly the impact that it has had on entrepreneurs in the state, a little bit of a bittersweet moment to see it leaving <laughs> its birthplace but going to a nice new home yeah it's moving uh, on indeed indeed annika can i get your digits <laughs> sure michael today my digit is five hundred thousand. that's the number of dollars the missouri technology corporation recommended in funding for four startups this month i went to their investment committee meeting and they made the recommendation for (laughs) I went to their investment committee meeting earlier this month where they made the recommendation and they told me that it still needs final approval from the board which meets later this month but there's a pretty good chance it'll go through just as proposed. What are those startups? Uh, Well half of that 500,000 was uh, recommended to go to Babyation which is a startup that develops discrete quiet breast pumps. Is that Babyation? Babyation. Wow I like that name. Babyation. Um, and then I know this is one of Michael's favorites. Uh, 100,000 went to H3 Enterprises, a startup that combines music and technology into tools for education and health for children. Indeed. Ooh, health, healthy hip hop. Royce, the guy behind that, is, uh-huh. a, is a really interesting character who used to be a hip hop artist and now has a startup based on those same principles. Huh. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Another 100,000 went to Planet Impact, a sustainable design tool, and the remaining 50,000 went to Jarvis, a mobile concierge technology. Huh. Megan, can I get your digits? Of course you can. Mine is 342 million. That's the revenue WeWork made in the first quarter of 2018. WeWork operates co-working spaces around the world, including Kansas City, and their revenue increased 110% from the last period. So they are a company that is definitely on the upswing. Indeed. Although co-working sort of remains a, a tough nut to crack, I feel like. So although they're generating a lot of revenue, will they be profitable is another question. Yeah. What makes it so tough? Uh, just because it's a real estate game where you're 
targeting a lot of very small clients. So rather than leasing one thing in a in yeah. one fell swoop, you're, a lot of work involved. Yeah, you're trying to fill every single desk in a thousand square foot space as opposed to running out the thousand square foot space. All right. Well, it's been a good conversation, guys. <laughs> How do we feel about our first podcast of the summer? Feeling good. Feeling Feel, good. Feeling great. <laughs> to close it off, here's an entrepreneurship tip from Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos. Be true to yourself. If you follow that principle, a lot of decisions are actually pretty easy. This has been Speaking Startup. I'm Megan Liz Smith with Michael Stacy and Annika Merrilies. We'll speak to you next week.